Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Weird to imagine that this time last week uh, we were sitting in an empty field waiting for a coach and uh, it's a lot more comfortable being back here than it was there. But God really did some great stuff. I've got a couple of pictures to show you. Nothing glamorous at all. Um, just going to talk until I come up on, on the screen. Um, in a few weeks' time, we'll probably put some slideshow together and really sort of say the kind of things that we did. Um, but uh, top picture doesn't really show much. Um, that's just a big panoramic picture of like the inside of the tent that we would meet in. Obviously, you've got about 6,000 people in there worshipping God. It was, um, it's just great to be in a venue where you've got so many people loving Jesus at the same time. Um, you don't really get many of those opportunities in life. Um, there's some of our youth drinking non-alcoholic drinks. Um, I'm pretty sure it was non-alcoholic. And this is a picture of Hannah, Becky and me at the end of the week. So I wanted to show you that sometimes people think, oh, you know, New Day's so exhausting, you've got no energy at the end. We still did have some energy at the end. Um, so that's a bit of a plug of please come next time. Um, next slide. There was a lot of this at the end. <laughs> there was a lot of this going on at the end. Um, I had so many of these pictures, I just decided to put three up. Um, it was pretty exhausting, um, but it was a really, really good time. And uh, we'll just leave it up for the intro so you can just have a little bit about it. Um, and uh, for me, the... Oh, <laughs> where is Val? It's brilliant, brilliant. In fact, I, I'm going to tell a lie. Well, it's not a lie, it's the truth. Um, this was Val at the beginning. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, great. We'll get rid of that slide. Get rid of that slide. Um, for me, the overarching thing about New Day is seeing God work in people's lives. Um, that's the thing that excites me. Um, it's not just the fact that God saves you. It's the fact he saves you for a purpose and for a plan. And he sort of gets you on board his massive adventure and uh, he takes you somewhere. And uh, it's been great to take some young people over the years and see, actually, it's not just about them committing their lives to Jesus. It's about them actually following Jesus. Um, I don't embarrass Renady too much, but I went and saw Renady get baptised yesterday. Um, this is great. Uh, it, was on, it was on Brighton Beach, 8.30 in the morning, and the sea was cold. And uh, what was amazing for me is I turned up, and there's a small group of people there from his church, and uh, they're singing some songs, and they're praying. I have no idea what they're saying because it's in another language. And um, I just about understand the word hallelujah and Jesus. And there's these moments where you're standing there and then someone prays. And I learned quite quickly when, when they pray and then when they say hallelujah, everyone starts praying. So they say hallelujah and I join in to pray. I've got no idea what we're praying for, but I'm praying anyway. And it was just this sense, actually, um, to be with people that love Jesus and to be with people that want to throw their lives into following Jesus. It's exciting. It's really exciting, and it's exciting to see different flavours of Christianity and what different people have to bring. And uh, hopefully, we'll be able to understand a bit more, a bit more about God by the end of this message as well. Um, we're looking at um, a series on life stories at the moment. So there's been four so far. So we've looked at Samuel, Gideon, Samson, and Deborah. And uh, today, I've got the honour of talking about David, not myself, um, but King David. And uh, I know that in the Bible, in theory, you know, it's all God's words. And the whole of the Bible is there to teach us, and it's amazing, and God wants to speak to us through it. But we all have bits in the Bible that really sort of grab us, or characters that really sort of grab us. And for me, David is one of them. Um, so I'm excited to talk to you about him. And in theory, I could talk about anything. 
Because um, there's so many different areas of his life that we could really look at. So David was this young boy who devoted, his, devoted himself to God, who was just a shepherd boy. So uh, a task that wasn't, you didn't really get thanked too much for being a shepherd boy. You're left on your own most of the time. Um, he was seen as sort of like the lowest member of his family. There was a time where Samuel came to anoint for the next king and he went to David's dad, Jesse, and said, get all your sons out. Let's see which one's going to be the next king. Jesse totally forgot about David, didn't even ask David to come. So Samuel went along the line and actually realized there's someone missing here. So David wasn't necessarily seen as like the, the big dog in his family at all. Um, he showed us examples of true biblical friendship. He had a friend called Jonathan, who was the son of the king Saul. And they had very different backgrounds, um, but they loved one another. And they loved one another in a way that they were sacrificial in their friendship towards one another. Um, he had complete integrity when it came to being pursued by Saul. So Saul was the king. And at this point, David um, had been anointed to be king, but he wasn't king yet. And Saul spent years and years and years trying to pursue David to kill him. So David, for a, I think it's nearly about 20 years, he's pretty much running away. Yeah, so hiding somewhere, hiding somewhere else with a few people, sometimes on his own. And he has this moment where he gets, he has an opportunity to kill Saul. And I think a lot of people think, oh, God's given me this opportunity. You know, God said, I'm going to be the king. The king is here. I've got this opportunity to kill him. And David doesn't kill him. He leaves it up to God. And uh, in the end, God has his own way and does what, he, what ultimately God does. And David is this man that pursues God relentlessly. Um, he's not perfect by any means. So uh, he committed adultery with his uncle Bathsheba. Tried to cover it up, couldn't cover it up very well, so killed Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Um, so, you know, he's a man that fell into sin, but he's a man who repented. He's a man who came back to God. He's a man who loved God. And if you read the Psalms, which many, many of them were written by him, it's about his raw emotion to God. There's times where he's literally shouting at God. There's times where he's crying with God. There's times where he's pleading with God. There's times where he's laughing with God. And he, you get a man that really, really loves his father in heaven absolutely hook, line and sinker, in love with him. Doesn't make him perfect, but it does mean he's a man who's described as being a man after God's own heart. It's like David's heart and God's heart ticked at the same heartbeat. So you could, there's a lot we can learn from him. Um, but I have to home in somewhere or we would literally be here all day. So uh, we're going to go for the very famous story of David and Goliath. And um, I'm a bit hesitant because it's, it's so well known. In fact, it was preached on a new day. So I've got to compete with that. And... Uh, it's so well known we can often sort of skip over the story, um, skip over some things that can really impact our lives um, because we've heard it. I mean, it's one of the few stories that my daughter knows. Um, so sometimes bedtime, I'll sort of act out the story of David and Goliath and uh, she thinks it's great. You know, there's a giant, but she loves giants. So she thinks Goliath's a bit of a hero. Um, he's not the hero. David is the hero. Haven't taught her that bit yet. Um, but she loves the story because it's one of those stories you can tell children. It's one of those stories that you grow up hearing about. But just to recap it before I go into some particulars. Um, so David's been anointed to be king and uh, all of his brothers are off a, few, um, a bit of time later fighting in a battle for the Israelites against the Philistines. Um, and David's dad says, can you go and take some food to your brothers and find out what's going on? So David's pretty much just an errand boy taking a packed lunch to his brothers. He turns up at the front line and he sees the Philistines on one side and the Israelites on the other side. And there's not much battles going on in between. And he's asking what's going on. And it turns out there's a 10 foot giant in the middle of these two armies called Goliath. And every day he comes out and he's basically saying, look, you send one of your guys to face me. If I win, we win. If he wins, you win. That's the situation they're in. And the Israelites are terrified because there's a 10 foot giant in the middle and they don't think they can compete. 
So day in, day out, this is going on. And to cut a long story short, David is outraged. Um, he is indignant. He can't believe that the Israelites, the people of God, are, are putting up with this. Um, he ends up taking on Goliath, chopping off his head, and the Israelites storm to victory. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty much blockbuster movie stuff. Yeah, you could make a film out of this. And uh, there are two passages I want to look at in particular to really draw something out of. Uh, before I do that, I'm going to pray. So, uh, Lord, I thank you for who you are, and I thank you that you can speak to us through men and women of the faith, through characters we see in the Bible. I thank you um, that you are here with us today, and I just pray that every single one of us will know more about you by the end of this small talk than they did at the beginning. I pray that we're more excited by you. I pray, Holy Spirit, you take these words, and you do something incredible with them. Ultimately, it's about who you are. It's about what you do rather than who we are and what we do, and we acknowledge you for that. Amen. Amen. So point number one, uh, you're at this, put the slide up please. Your identity is in Christ. Okay, so who you are is totally impacted with who God is. Okay, when you become a Christian, you're no longer the person that you were before. Everything changes. Every, everything changes. Nothing stays the same. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, it says, Then Saul, who's the king, obviously, dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. David said, I can't go in these because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth, smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. That's Goliath. So David's gone to Saul and David said, you know what? No one's taken on Goliath. I can take him on. Yeah, this is this is this is me. God's with me. I know what I'm doing. Um, he, he persuaded Saul a little bit. So he said, actually, just to let you know, there's some times in my life where I'm looking after my sheep and some wild animals come. And I took those animals on with my bare hands. Yeah. And I killed those animals. I've got pedigree. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. But ultimately, God is with me and, and no one else is doing it. And I'm really livid and furious with this situation. So just let me do it. And Saul says, OK, but you need some armor, which is quite understandable. And, and Saul does a really nice thing. And he says, take my armor. This isn't just armor. This is like the best armor. This is the king's armor. Um, it's, it, it just fits. The problem with armor is that um, it's fitted particularly to the person that's wearing it, especially the king's armor. So um, rugby players have mouth shields, gum shields. And if you spend a lot of money on gum shields, they mold it to your teeth. So that when you put it in, it protects your teeth. If you wear someone else's gum shield, which is disgusting, um, it doesn't fit your, fit your mouth, it doesn't fit your teeth. It's not going to do anything for you. And it's exactly the same with the armour. David puts on Saul's armour, and as good as it is, it doesn't fit. So he's in a situation. Um, I was in a similar situation. I wasn't fighting a Goliath, fighting a, a giant. But I was invited to a fancy dress party once, a few years ago. And you had to go dressed as something beginning with either an M or a C, and I decided to go dressed as a crayon. <laughs> I actually that's, that's genuinely impressive as a crayon um, no, sadly no one else wanted to, to join me and make the set so I pretty much was on my own um, and I remember getting on a tube across London dressed as this on my own forgetting that you're wearing it getting a lot of stares along the way and um, this uh, just to put a bit of a background to the story this is in January um, so it was pretty cold and I needed to find some clothes that I could dye red because I wanted to go as a red crayon. And uh, I thought, where can I buy cheap clothes that I can dye? And obviously Primark is the answer. So off I go. I go to Primark. I want to find some white shorts and a white T-shirt so I can dye them so I can look the part. 
Um, problem is in January, you don't really find shorts. It's hard to find shorts, particularly white shorts in January. And um, what I found was skinny tight jeans. And uh, I'm sure you're probably thinking that this shouldn't be a problem for a man like me. Like this physique fits in pretty well to, to skinny tight jeans. And I thought, you know what, I can pull this off. I can wear skinny tight jeans. Don't worry, they're not skinny tight jeans. And um, I tried them on. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that I did get them on. <laughs> yeah, so I'm in the change room in Primark, you know, breathing, whoop, done. I'm in. I'm in these skinny tight jeans. I never took a picture of me on them because you wouldn't want to see the picture. Um, the issue was is I couldn't get them off. I really couldn't get them off. And the more you, I don't know if you've, you've probably never been in this situation, but the more you're trying to get a piece of clothing off that you can't get off, the more panicky you get. Yeah? So I'm stuck in this li little box in Primark in central London, throwing myself around, <laughs> desperately trying to get these jeans off. And the, the options that I thought, okay, I could just look cool, just stroll out wearing them, show them the tag I'm wearing them. And they could scan it, and I could just walk out into London wearing these jeans. Um, problem is, as I said, uh, they didn't look good. Um, or I thought I could put my normal jeans over the top of these skinny jeans, and I could just steal them. Um, because I just couldn't get them off. Or I thought I could ask someone to help me. Thank goodness I didn't ask someone to help me, because in the end, when I did get them off, everything comes down with it. Um, so uh, I, I wouldn't advise doing that either. But I did get them off in the end. And at that moment, I concluded something about myself that I've never, ever retreated on. Skinny tight jeans don't fit me. <laughs> they just don't fit me. They never will fit me, I don't think. Um, God hasn't given me a body that looks good in skinny tight jeans. They just don't fit. Um, David's situation was a lot more serious than mine. OK, I'm, I'm dressing up as a crayon. Um, well, we can get rid of that now. And uh, he wasn't dressing up. OK, um, this, for him, this was life and death stuff. OK, so David tried on Saul's armour and he knew straight away, this isn't me. This doesn't fit me. This isn't the person that God has created me to be. How did he know that this wasn't, the per he, this wasn't him? Well, ultimately, he knew this wasn't him and he had confidence that he could take off his armour and be himself because he knew God. By knowing God intimately, he knew the man that God had created him to be. And that meant that he could go out and face Goliath. He knew that he wasn't going to win a battle by pretending to be someone else. He was going to win the battle by, by being the man that God had created him to be. And that all started with his devotion to the Lord. Um, the chapter before this battle, there's a moment where Saul speaks to one of his servants. And Saul's going through this crazy time and he's having bad dreams and talks about evil spirits all over the place. And he says, I just want someone that can play some soothing music that can help me in my state of mind. So he says to a servant, do you know anyone that is good on an instrument, pretty much? And his servant said, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. I still don't know what a lyre is, but it's a musical instrument. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and he's a fine looking man. Again, the Bible often talks and puts these things in. I don't know why they put in that David was a fine looking man, but obviously it does make a difference. Um, that's which why I'm standing here today. And... Uh, all of, everything that is there is factual and obvious. Okay, So this servant has said, you know what? I know someone that lives in Bethlehem. I know his dad's called Jesse. I know that he, he, he's a shepherd boy. And um, I've seen him from afar. He plays a musical instrument. How do I know? He's on his own in the field and he often plays a musical instrument. It's not rocket science. Okay, He's a brave man. How do I know that? Because I've seen and heard of stories when animals have come to attack his, his flock and he has done what he needs to do to protect the sheep. He speaks well and he's a fine looking man. But the most significant bit is the bit at the end of it, 
which I haven't read, read yet. And he said, and the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. Everything else was matter of fact. Everything else was, yeah, he looks like this. He does this. I've seen him do this. He's great on an instrument. But that last bit is the most significant bit. The Lord is with him. From afar, people watched David and they knew, even though they didn't know him personally, even if they didn't have this one-on-one relationship with him, they saw him from afar and said, you know what? God is with that guy. He's with that guy. David didn't win the war against Goliath on the day he fought him. David won the war against Goliath over years and years of devotion to God. He gave himself to God time and time and time again. God shaped him. God made him the man that he was. God clothed him in righteousness. God put a heart inside of him that made him actually know who he was in God. He knew his identity. It wasn't who he was before. It's who he was in the relationship he found in God. It's humbling. I think, what will people say about you? Or what will people say about me in this situation? Let's use me. I know this teacher. This teacher turns up on time. He meets his deadlines, he marks, he gets good results, um, he tries to get on with staff and students at school. He even takes people, some, some boys to a Christian camp. Yeah, so even, he even in his school holidays takes some people away and prays with them. That's all great. But if it didn't end with, and the Lord is with him, it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't mean anything at all. I've done, basically, I've done some stuff. Yeah, I've ticked some boxes. Um, I've been what people might want me to be. But ultimately, if it isn't that God is with me, then, then, then it doesn't mean anything at all. And like David, we need to be a people that God is with. And if we're a people God is with, we need to spend some time with him. We need to find our identity in him rather than ourselves. And in the gospel, Jesus speaks of the same thing. Jesus says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus is talking to his closest friends, his disciples, and he's saying, look, there's going to be some people who's going to, they're going to do some stuff. Yeah, the equivalent of taking some people to New Day. They're going to do some stuff. Um, but if they don't know me, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, David could have put on Saul's armour. He could have looked great. He could have gone and fought Goliath. That's doing something. But ultimately, if God wasn't with him, it wasn't going to go very well. And actually, it wasn't just going to not go well for him. It was going to fall apart for the whole people of Israel. So knowing God is the pivotal moment in our lives that carries on and on and on. We need to make sure we don't just soak up kingdom activity and make that about our lives. Okay, so it's not just about you doing things. Okay, so I go to church, I pray, I tell people about Jesus, and we just sacrifice knowing who God is. Ultimately, when you're talking to someone who, who doesn't know Jesus, you want them to see Jesus, you don't want them to see you. And the only way they can see Jesus is by you spending time with him. Like, gospel, like David spent time with his father. And actually, it's a common denominator we see all the way through scripture. I, I, I love parts of the Old Testament where you can just read about people's lives. Because you can find things in people's lives that really have an effect on who you are. So you've got someone like Abraham. He left absolutely everything he had. Um, he, he, he took his family. He went to a land. He didn't know where he was going. He was even willing to sacrifice his own son. You had Moses who took on, you know, took on Pharaoh, who's like the most powerful man in the world, and led the people of God out of Israel and across the Red Sea. Saw miracle after miracle. You got Nehemiah, who had the courage to go back to Jerusalem and gather the people of God and say, let's rebuild the city. You've got Esther, who's the queen, who challenges the king and says, Do you know what? Um, what's going on here doesn't really fit. Okay, and she does all she can to protect the people of God. You've got Peter in the New Testament who stands up preaching, sees the multitude saved. They've all got different journeys in faith. They all fell in sin at different times in their life. The common denominator is they all knew God. 
It started by knowing God. It started by having their identity found in him. I remember when I was uh, 16. So I've been a Christian for about a year and uh, I was in the library at school. I think I was in sixth form and there was an essay I had to do. And I remember sitting at this table, I was writing this essay. And there's loads of people around me talking and I can't hear what they're saying because obviously I'm working. You, you, just, you know when you just know there's conversations going around you, you don't know what they're saying. But it's just that mumbling in the background. And then I heard the word Jesus. And it's like my head just snapped up. Okay, someone said the word Jesus. And it really dawns on me. And I remember it now that I thought, you know what? God's got hold of me so much that when I hear the name of Jesus, I want to know what's going on. And it's exactly the same that if, if you guys are chatting over there and I'm over here talking to someone and you know I'm talking, but you can't hear me. But, you, but suddenly I say your name, you, your ears just hear it. Somehow you just connect. Like someone said my name, what they're saying. Okay, our relationship with God, with Jesus, should be so powerful that, that, that we're, we're connecting with him daily. That there's something about the person that we are isn't the same. When I was 14, if someone had said the name Jesus, I don't think I would have heard it. And it's something really small, but it really did stick with me. Actually, I'm about something different now. David was about something different. My identity is found in God. It's not found in the person that I was previously. So through knowing him, okay, we know who we are. The Bible speaks of us as adopted, sons and daughters of God, united in him, heirs to the throne. This is the best bit, I think. It says we are people in whom the fullness of God dwells. God dwells in you and he dwells in me. So no wonder in this, David could walk out to Goliath without fear, without anxiety, without pressure, with complete confidence. Other people may need a sword to take on Goliath. That's totally fine. That's not simple. That's not wrong. That's not me. I'm just going to take some stones and I'm going to take on Goliath with some stones because that's me. And that's the person God has created me to be. And I can have complete confidence in that, even if the rest of you think it's insane. okay? because I know what God's doing in me. The Bible says, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. And true freedom comes from knowing Christ. It comes from submitting yourself to him. It comes through baptism in him. And it comes to devoting your lives, your hopes, your dreams, your plans, your visions, everything about you. What Abby prayed earlier today, every single thing of your life is, God, this is yours, this is yours, this is yours. And what God does is he does something glorious and he almost just gives it back to you and makes it better. Not that your life is perfect. But he says, you know, you have these hopes. Um, I will, if they're the same hopes I have for you, then I'm going to do something amazing with them and we're going to see where we go. Or I don't have those hopes for you. I've got hopes that are even better for you. You just don't know them yet. Yeah, and it's by seeking him and knowing him and finding our identity in him that we're able to follow him. So that's point number one. It's quite a long point. Um, your identity is found in God. It's found through Christ. I've only got two points. Second point is that in that, let's fight some giants. Okay, so um, David found his identity in God. And actually, because of that, because of the way God has made me, I can take some giants on now. I can I can stand up against some of the things of this world, not because I am able to, but God is able to through me because I'm not the person I was before. And there's two passages. One is just a line. One Samuel 17. This is where David's finding out what's going on. He's trying to work out who's this guy in the middle. And David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. Uncircumcised, quite a key word here. Um, so if you were circumcised, you were part of the, the, the people of God. So all men were circumcised in Israel. Okay, And that meant that basically he is your God, you are God's people, and there's something specific and unique and beautiful for you that isn't for other people. Okay, And David's standing there and saying, actually, it's not the fact that he's 10 foot tall. It's not the fact he's got loads of armour on him. It's not the fact that he's got this massive army behind him. It's the fact that he's uncircumcised. You are letting someone that isn't part of God's people 
condemn God's people. You're letting someone that isn't part of God's people have a hold of God's people, and that's not right. So out of that indignation, David goes to Saul. Then we have the armor moment, which I've spoken about, and then it continues from verse 41. So David's gone out to Goliath at this point, and it says, Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Um, this is Lion of Judah stuff. Yeah, so we sung about our God is a lion, our God is a lamb, our God is both. Yeah, and you see passages throughout scripture that draw on both of them to show you the whole nature of God. This is Lion of Judah stuff. Okay, this is God's going to fight some battles. And because of what he's done in me, he's going to use me to fight those battles. And uh, David basically calls Goliath out. Okay, so David basically said, okay, you want to do this? Let's go outside. Yeah, you wanna, okay, let's take the common end. Let's, let's do this. Let's take each other on. Um, I'm not really a fighter. I think it looks like I am. Um, I don't really like fighting. Um, I like play fighting. But when it comes to actually like physical aggression, um, when it comes to being angry with someone and having to hit them, my, my default is I want to find another way of getting around this. So I might talk myself out of it or throw a joke in. Um, that, that's a good way to go. Um, or I think if I had to fight, I would cheat. I'd hit people where you shouldn't hit people. Um, I'd find a way to win if I knew I couldn't win. And I think David is in this situation. He's looking at Goliath. And if I was David, I'd be sizing him up and thinking, I need to find a way to win. So I'm thinking Tom and Jerry style. So like um, maybe like David's small. He could maybe run through Goliath's legs and trip him up. Or he could like wrap some rope around him and pull him. Um, or apparently if you're running away from a rhino, um, you should run in one direction, turn sharply, run in another direction, do a little zigzag. Because rhinos are big. Yeah, and rhinos can't turn very well. So maybe David could just do this crazy running thing. Yeah, and the armies could watch thinking, and then David gets really tired. The, the Goliath gets really tired. David's fitter and younger. So then David could kill Goliath when Goliath's having a breather. Yeah, so I'm thinking maybe David could have done that. Um, but David doesn't do that. In fact, David makes it a million times worse. He takes a bad situation and makes it terrible. Okay, because instead of trying to work out how to win, maybe manipulate the situation, David just shames Goliath. Okay, he tells him what he's going to do to him. That's risky. Before you've done it, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, so Goliath's standing there thinking, I'm going to take someone off. Goliath's getting more and more angry, not just because of um, what David says he's going to do, but David's just this puny little kid. Yeah, and David's not even come out with any armor. And who's it, who, who does he think he is? Yeah, so he's making the situation, well, he's literally angering the animal. Yeah, they say if you take on a bear, that you should stand there and not necessarily run because the bear will chase you. Yeah, um, David's, David's literally running at the bear. Yeah, he's doing the opposite of what I naturally would do. Um, and he taunts him. He says, you know what, you think that you're going to win this battle and you're going to go back as a hero. You're not going to win this battle. You're going to die. 
and you're not going to go back as a hero. In fact, you're not even going to get back. Your dead body isn't going to get back. There's no burial for you. Yeah, I'm going to make sure that you are dead and your mates are dead and that the wild animals pick your body apart and that nothing is left by the end of it. You're not going to be a hero. You think you're big, you're not. You think you have power, you don't. You think you're facing a five-foot boy from Israel. Actually, you're facing the God of Israel. You just don't know it yet. As a God of a capital G, David's just saying you're going down. Goliath, you are going down. Yeah, and, and, and Goliath's just, just probably getting more and more enraged because Goliath's looking at David and he sees the weaknesses and flaws in David. But he doesn't see the almighty God standing behind him. Okay, he's looking at David. And if he had looked up, I think he would have just seen God and just thought, you know what, I'm not going to get involved in this. I'm not going to get involved in this. Um, you don't have God standing behind you. And I don't have God standing behind you. We have the almighty God living within us. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever giant you face, whatever thing that, that takes hold of your life, that stands in the way between you and God, you can take on, not because you have to muster up the courage from within, because God is within you and your identity is found in him. The devil puts giants in front of us, places them in our minds. He forces us to look at these giants rather than look at God. Goliath looked at the weaknesses. We don't have to look at the weaknesses. We can be like David. We can look to the Lord. I love David's indignation. I love his anger towards Goliath. Basically saying, how dare you? How dare you stand against the people of God? Who do you think you are? Don't you know who we are? Yeah, we, we, we take on people. Um, we had that reading, um, someone prayed out this morning about all the battles that Joshua faced and they'd go and they'd win and they'd win and they'd win. David, that David is looking back at these events and saying, you, you're clueless. You're clueless. You look at me as just this individual, but actually the God who created everything is behind me and th working through me, and you're going to lose. Jesus had a really similar moment. Um, he went to the temple and uh, he threw some tables over. I love this story. Um, and uh, he turned up at the temple and um, people are buying and selling, which isn't unusual. I don't think that in itself is wrong. Um, basically, if you went to the temple, uh, you were expected to do a sacrifice. That was part of the Levitical law. If you travelled a long way, you probably couldn't bring your sacrifice with you. So you'd go to the temple and the idea is you would buy an animal so that you could sacrifice. You'd make your sacrifice to God. God would forgive you your sins and then you'd travel back. OK, so people were arriving. But the problem is that they were screwing you over. Yeah. So they, you, you couldn't buy an animal unless you had temple money. So you've got to take your money, take it to someone and give it to them. And they'd exchange your money for temple money. Then you would take that temple money and you would go and buy your animal. Yeah, and then you do the sacrifice. But the exchange rate was crippling. Okay, so you would give a little, you, you would have to give loads of money and they'd give you a little bit of money in return. Yeah, and Jesus turns up and says, actually, this house, this temple is meant to be a place of prayer for all nations. It's meant to be a blessing. People are meant to see the way we are. We're different from the world. We're not different from the world. Money has become a giant in your life. You've become into, this is like a den of robbers. He calls them thieves. So he throws some tables. Okay, money goes flying, probably some animals might go flying. Um, but Jesus is livid. He's livid because actually there is someone or something standing between you and God and it's going to ruin everything. That's not the way that it's meant to be. By knowing God personally, we shouldn't be letting these giants win in our lives. David took one on and he took many on in his lifetime. OK, Jesus took them on and we've got to do the same. I would say that we've got to get started getting angry with the schemes of the devil. OK, that doesn't mean I'm saying go flip some tables and it doesn't mean I'm saying get some stones and throw them at people's heads. 
Okay, but getting angry with what the devil does to, to get between you and God and to get between the people of God and others, we've got to start standing up to that. It's time to fight against the giants we face in the world. Because I'll tell you what, if you lose, I lose. And if I lose, you lose. We're the people of God. We're the church. So if there's a, if there's a giant in your life, something out there that is, is affecting who you are and changing the person that God has made you to be, and you are struggling and falling away from who God is, we lose you. And it's exactly the same as if it happens to me. These giants could be anything. It could be things that you see. So it could be sexual exploitation. It could be racial discrimination. It could be political injustice. It could be things you see in the world that up till now, even though there's something that's grated you inside, you haven't stood against them. You've almost let them continue. You almost said, you know what, I'm not going to get involved. I'm just going to let that just, just, just carry on. I'm not saying that you're able to necessarily change these holistically, but individually in our lives, there are times where we could stand up for God and say, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm not believing what everyone else says I should believe. But we often choose not to because we're scared of what people think about us. It could be things within us. It could be fear, pride, habitual sin, addictions, dishonesty. There's a whole host of things it could be. Goliath was there to rob the Israelites of everything that they had. And the giants in our lives are there to do the same thing. I, don't, I generally don't think the devil's plan is to make you not a Christian. I think his plan is to make you a redundant Christian. Okay? He loves people that choose to follow Jesus but don't really follow him. Because they're worthless. They can't do anything. They can't act on anything. And actually other people see them and think, oh, if that's what Jesus and Christianity is about, I don't even want to be in on that. Because you're not, you're not seeing any success in your life. You're not seeing any overcoming of giants in your life. And I've got giants, so why would I follow what you're doing when it doesn't seem to make any difference? We might say it's hard. We might say it's a constant struggle. But actually, through faith, through following Jesus, through giving our lives to God, like David did time and time again, we can stand up in, our, in his strength and not our own. I want to give you an example. Um, I'm going to finish soon. Um, for me, I would say a constant battle is fear. And that might come across as a surprise because um, I'm quite loud. Um, I'm usually quite happy to stand in front of people. Um, uh, and uh, it looks like I'm, I'm in complete control and uh, that I enjoy this. Sometimes I don't. And um, fear can get hold of me. And I think one example um, is when I was looking to become a teacher. Um, I'm, I'm quite cautious and nervous at the fact that I've got a twitch. I've never spoken about this. Um, and uh, the... Yeah, just that, you know, there's something about me that actually, um, over time, I've developed this twitch and it drives me insane. And sometimes it happens a lot and sometimes it doesn't happen. And I thought, I can't be a teacher because kids are cruel. <laughs> and um, like when I was at school, you try and identify something about someone that you can pick them apart on. And that was that thing for me. I, I, can't, I can't do this because uh, um, I'm not going to go into a career where someone tries to take me on in this way. And... Uh, Actually, I thought about it and I prayed about it and it wasn't really about the twitch. It was about my fear of what people thought of me. Yeah, and I just thought, actually, I'm not going to let fear be something that, that stops me being the person I can be, that makes me hide away, that makes me choose something that I don't necessarily want to do because, I, in, in theory, I should be following what God wants me to do. Um, it happened again a few years later. Um, I took boys to New Day for the first time and I remember standing in a meeting and we're worshipping God and when I worship God, I tend to like to be like this. But I was actually like this. Um, because I had these boys around me and they're, you know, you're meant to be cool. 
<laughs> meant to be cool. And uh, I was very aware, very aware that these, these are students that in lessons, I'm like, don't do this, don't turn around, where's your ruler? That's a detention. Yeah, and doing all this, I'm not joking, give a lot of detentions for rulers. Um, and uh, I'm very aware that I'm, I'm this person and then suddenly they're seeing something different about me and I don't know how to respond and I don't know what to do. And ultimately it was about a fear of what are they going to think about me? What are they going to say? What are they going to say when I'm not there? And I had to pray about it. I had to courage. So I had to get to, I got three or four songs in and I just thought, oh, stuff this. They can think what they want to think. I'm going to praise God. Yeah, because I'm not going to let fear get in the way of the person that God has made me. It's not, going to, it's not going to be a giant in my life. And that's something that I know time in, time out, I'm going to have to battle against. And for yourselves, it could be anything. <laughs> it could be a work culture. It could be when you go to work or you go to school or to college, there's a way you're meant to behave. There's a thing you're meant to do. There's things you're meant to say or not say. And actually, um, there's been times where you think, actually, I, I don't want to do this. But I'm going along with it because it just seems a bit of a giant. If I stand against this, I don't know what people are going to think of me. It could be materialism. I just, want to, I just want to get stuff. I want people to know that I've got stuff. Um, it could be fear, like I've said. It could be a constant winning mentality. That your life is about winning. Your life is about, I want this and I want this. I want to see, show that I'm succeeding. I want to show that I always win. Okay? And that gets between you and God. Because there'll be times where God doesn't want you to win. And you'll choose another approach because it shows that you win. Um, anything that prevents you being the man or the woman that God has made you to be. Um, that's a giant in your life. And we need to kill some giants. Um, if I get the band back up, uh, we're going to end literally in a, in a minute. Um, and I want us to respond if you feel that God is saying something to you or if you feel that actually there's something you want to respond to. And, um, in Ephesians, Paul speaks about the armour of God and it's a spiritual armour. So it's like he says, put the breastplate of righteousness on, put the helmet of salvation on, carry the sword of the spirit. It's not this physical armour, it's a spiritual armour. God has given you everything you need to take on the things of this world through you knowing him. Absolutely everything that you need. And I believe, like myself, that there are people who are the things, you know what, there are some giants in my life. And if someone found out about these giants, they might even say, that's not really a big deal. But for you, it is a big deal because it stops you being the man or the woman that you want to be. That could be something that you see that you've not stood against, or it could be something within that wins more often than loses. Um, and we're going to respond. We're going to respond, but I'm going to ask in a minute if you feel that way to stand, and I want to pray for you. Um, and then we're going to sing a song all together, really just declaring God's faithfulness and goodness and the fact that he is the one that wins these battles for us. So, uh, yeah, if you are here and you think, you know what, there are some giants in my life, and it's something I'd love to just stand and declare that actually I'm about knowing God, not about fearing others, or letting other things win in my lives rather than him. Could I ask you to stand? You might want to hold your hands out. I'm just going to pray. Um, while I pray, I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's good just to declare in your mind those giants to God. He already knows. Uh, that's the good thing about him. He knows even before you stood up what's going on in your mind. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you work within us. And I thank you that like David, who's able to take on the scary things of this world, that we are able to as well. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And um, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to be upon us. Lord, I pray against any giant in our lives. 
any wall, any barrier, any division in our lives, anything that stops us being the people of God you created us to be. I pray in the name of Jesus that they are demolished right now. That they are demolished right now. I pray that as a people group we are able to stand together in you and the promises you have for us. Father, I just ask, I just ask, Lord, that we will be a people that will pursue you eagerly, pursue you and devote our lives to you. That things of this world will not win. We may stumble, but we will not fall. I just think that's quite clear. There'll be times where we all stumble, but you will not fall. When Paul speaks about putting the armour of God in, on, he says stand in it. He doesn't always say run in it. He says stand. Do you know what? There's times in your life that all you can do is stand. Just don't retreat. Just stand. And some of you are in a situation in your life where actually um, I'm just standing. That is totally fine. And we will stand with you. The church, you don't stand on your own. The church stands with you. But we're not about falling and we're not about retreating. We're going to sing a song together and um, we're going to declare who God is and use this song as an opportunity to say, God, actually, these giants are going to come crumbling down in my lives. And I think for some of us, there might be a time later on where you think, actually, I need to talk to someone about this so people can stand with me. That is totally fine. And we'd love to. Um, But let's fix our eyes on him and on who he is and what he does. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.